when they were little, and there were four of them, if I if I had cookies in the house, um, they were there one minute and gone the next. And so if I bought a box of cookies, I put up a sign-out sheet for them to sign out how many cookies they were taking each day. And they said, in retrospect, Mom, that was so embarrassing when we had friends over. <laughs> but it was the only way for them to take some charge of their own behavior uh, around um, sweets and carbohydrates. <laughs> is the sweetest story that I've ever heard. And in fact, I've never heard that as a technique, but in a way it's fantastic because what you were doing, you're being the scientist, it's data collection, right? And at the end of the day, we often can't change things if we don't measure them. And it just, you know, it brings to our awareness. You're like, oh yeah, I, I only had two cookies when in fact you had 12 cookies. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Eat Real to Heal podcast where I am your host, Nicolette Riche. I'm also the CEO and founder of The Green Mustache of Richer Health and Richer Health Retreat Center, which is a new, uh, nutrition and detox wellness center in Pemberton, British Columbia. If you are in the BC, British Columbia, Canada area, please visit one of our six Green Mustache cafes that will serve you plant-based, 100% organic, unrefined, whole food meals that are warm and cooked or raw if you want that. We have smoothies and juices and some of the most amazing desserts that you're ever gonna find in the entire world. We don't use anything refined, so no refined salt, no refined sugar, no refined oils, and our food is in Incredible. So please visit one of our locations or sign up for one of our retreats at our wellness center or contact us if you are battling a chronic degenerative disease and need help learning how to eat real to heal, how to use food as medicine to reverse your chronic diseases. Now on this episode of the Eat Real to Heal podcast, we have a very special guest, Catherine Holdway. Now, back in May, I was on stage speaking at an event with Peter Katz. And many of you know Peter. He is a Canadian Juno Award winner. He's a singer, songwriter, a speaker, and he's just this warm, incredible human being. And after I spoke, he came up to me and said, oh my goodness, you need to meet my mother, Catherine Holdway. She is an inspiration to Peter and to so many other members of her family and her community. And this is who this podcast is about. And we are definitely going to get Peter on the show at one point because Peter is a healing hero himself in so many ways. He's got incredible stories, but so is his mother. And I just love the fact that he came up to me wanting to promote his mother and share her incredible story, which is truly a testament to who Catherine is as a mother to have a son who sings her praises. So Catherine Holdway, she is a former director of the entrepreneurial division at the Visiting Nurse Association in Colchester, Vermont. She worked for years in public health and then as a nurse educator as well. She then became licensed as a couples and family um, therapist through the Jewish General Hospital Institute of Community and Family Psychiatry in Montreal. 
And then she went on to start her own private therapy practice. So this woman is a renegade in everything she has been doing in the nursing field and counseling and couples therapy field. But her story goes even further. So Catherine is now retired. She's a, you know, a mother, she's now a grandmother, and she's still inspiring her health and her community um, in so many ways. So she's truly the epitome of a healing hero in our books. So Catherine had high cholesterol, type two diabetes, which runs in her family, high blood pressure. And then she got herself a copy of Diet for a Small Planet. And this changed the way she had was thinking about food. And that's where her story really begins. Now, she had been following the Canadian Food Guide and she pivoted from that. She um, switched to a vegetarian and then eventually a vegan diet, especially when Peter and his sibling came home for Christmas dinner and she said, forget it. No more cooking the turkey dinner. We are going to cook all vegan. And that's really where everything changed for her. After that, she decided to go vegan for six months to see if she can lower her triglycerides, which were up at around a 221, which was really high. They should be at around 150 or and lower. And sure enough, within three months, her triglycerides had dropped to 136, which is amazing. Um, and she was able to reclaim so many aspects of our health despite the fact that prior to doing this you know she was already leading quite a healthy lifestyle she was exercising a lot she knew about reducing stress but where everything really needed to be rounded out was in the food area getting off the animal fats and the animal protein and substituting that for amazing healthy vegan um, and vegetarian food so enjoy Catherine's story as she takes you through her journey. She's 68 years old now, leading this amazing vegan lifestyle. She has proven that you can learn how to develop new cooking techniques, new shopping techniques, new recipes. Um, it's never too late to turn your health around. And even if you just try it for six months, just see what happens with your health. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please share this episode with other people who you might feel that this podcast will relate to another mother, a grandmother, a grandfather, anybody who has high triglycerides, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes. Listen to the story and share it with them and see how it can change their health and their life for the better. Now, before we begin, let me share a few things with you. We have an incredible online Eat Real to Heal program. Please visit our website to learn all about that. We also have our Eat Real to Heal book, which is it came out one year ago through Mango Publishing. Our publisher is incredible. They're out there to change the world through the power of books and literature. So check out what they offer at Mango Publishing. We have loved working with them. And if you are an author who wants to get your book off the ground, please contact them if you have a book that is all about changing the world, like our book is Eat Real to Heal. Also, over the years, I have been invited to speak in all types of settings, whether it's talking about soil and agriculture, pesticide usage and glyphosate, 
damage to the body. I have spoken all about the Gerson therapy, which is what I'm trained in and how to eat real to heal and use food as medicine to turn your health around. I speak on all topics of nutrition um, and chronic disease. So if you think I might be a good fit for your event, go to our website at info at richerhealth.ca and at nicolettereche.com, fill out our speakers form and let's connect. See if we're a great fit. I would love to speak at your next event. Also to round things out, know that we have this incredible program that's starting for corporations. So our purpose is to combat the chronic disease epidemic that is affecting our world predominantly in post-colonial developed countries, Western countries that are eating the crappiest food on the planet. It's food that is not real. It's super processed, ultra processed food. And we need to educate people on how to get themselves off of these drugs. They truly are drugs. They're addictive. They're meant to be addictive and they harm your body in tremendous ways. So we are combating that through teaching people how to eat real to heal, how to use food as medicine to reverse their chronic diseases. I've worked with thousands of people around the globe to reverse some of the most debilitating chronic diseases, including cancer. And you do not have to live with a diagnosis from a doctor that says, you're gonna be on these meds for life. We're gonna have to cut out your organs because they are damaged from this disease. Your body has the ability to repair itself and if you remove the obstacles that are causing the harm and if you include the nutrients that promote healing, your body can self-activate so it can self-heal and reverse hundreds of different, of different chronic diseases. You do not have to live with the pain, with the low energy, with the fatigue, with the symptoms of these diseases. So reach out to us. We would love to show you how. But we are doing this in corporations through our peak performance program. And that's where we work with companies of 50 or more employees and teach the employees how to eat real to heal so they can operate at their highest level, at their highest potential, give the company everything that they've got, their creativity, their passion. So the companies do well. But not only that, if they're performing well at work, they're going to perform well at home. They're going to have incredible, healthy, thriving relationships with their partners, with their children, and with their community. And we want that for everyone. So check out our website, nicoletterichet.com. Um, as our peak performance program rolls out, we would love to work with you. And so stay tuned for that new program. So if you like this podcast, please share it with everybody all your friends, all your family, your colleagues at work. We greatly appreciate, appreciate it. So stay tuned now for this episode with Catherine Holdway. Eat well, be well. Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. It is such a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. 
Um, so Catherine, one of the reasons, um, just for our listeners out there that, um, you know, want to know about who you are, um, and how you came to be on the show is that I was speaking at a Mercer conference and I was talking about food as medicine and your lovely son, Peter was there as well. And he also got up, gave an incredible performance. Um, really talking about living your life to the fullest, um, incredible musician. Uh, that he is. And afterwards, he came up to me and said, you have to meet my mom. He's like, I've been drinking the Kool-Aid. He said, he wrote to us and said, I've been drinking the Kool-Aid um, for a long time now, meaning that, um, and he even said it's the, you know, vegan, organic, gluten-free, plant-based, whole food Kool-Aid, which was really sweet. Um, and he said, but you got to meet my mom. And he was just glowing. And when he was talking about you and the fact that you turned to a vegan diet to heal your type 2 diabetes, isn't that correct? That's right. That's right. Well, not to heal my diabetes so much as to um, improve my triglycerides because my triglyceride levels in my diabetes were high and uh, I needed to lower them. Yeah, um, I mean, about... if, if improve my diabetes as well, that would be great. <laughs> of course, of course. And your triglycerides were about, what were they, 221? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, which yeah. are high. Yes. That is high. Yeah, normal is about 150. Okay, so before we dive into the story about how you turn to a plant-based diet, let's go back because you are actually a trained registered nurse. Yes. And you've, and you've worked in public health for a long time. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. tell us about that. What made you want to go into um, becoming a nurse? Oh my, that's a long time ago. Uh I just liked helping people and I was always interested in health and, and what made uh, people well and healthy. And while you were studying to be a nurse, because you have a Bachelor of Science degree as well, um, and a Bachelor of Science in Nursing degree, and a Master of Science as well, and while right. you were going through school, um, you know, was there a lot of exposure to nutrition or what was your education like that you received? I think in nursing, it was not terrible. I mean, we had a whole textbook on nutrition and we had a nutrition course. Um, so I did learn a fair amount about nutrition and it was something we needed to address with patients depending on what their condition was. We would talk about what nutritional um, changes or additions or whatever might be helpful to them. And was the training more about a, a lot of times when we talk about nutrition, especially within the uh, dietary and medical world, it's often about macronutrients. You know, it's about how much protein the patient's getting, how much sugar, how much carbohydrates, how, many, uh, how much fat. And was it more on the macronutrient side or the micronutrient side? Like how, compared to what you know about nutrition now after making these lifestyle changes, how would you, what would you say the difference was between what you learned in school and what you know now? I would say it was primarily the macronutrients um, at, at that time. Yes. Uh, we looked at the protein and the carbohydrate and the fat and, um, you know, if somebody had a gallbladder in those days, you'd try to lower their uh, gallbladder issue. You try to lower their fat intake and, and that kind of thing. If they were diabetic, you try to manage their uh, glucose intake. 
for proper hydrating. Right. And how much time, so who's responsible for teaching the patients about um, a diet once they leave the hospital? Because as a nurse, I mean, you're seeing the patients in the hospital, you're seeing the food that they're given that's prepared for them by the hospital. So, um, or by the, um, by the kitchen and, and the chefs and the dietitians. So they're preparing the food, they're counting the calories, they're counting the macronutrients, but then who's educating the patients on what to eat when they go home? Well, theoretically, um, we did that in nursing. Um, my guess is that today um, it may not be happening anymore, but as a, as a student nurse, and, and I worked as a teacher for a while in nursing, I would teach my students to address that issue with people. Um, and I don't know in the hospitals if there's a dietitian who uh, addresses the issues with, with clients or patients. I don't know what they do now. But we used to do that. But that was a long time ago. That was in, in the in the seventies, um, and I know that medicine and nursing has changed a lot since then. Yeah, medicine it really has a lot, especially from what I understand. Prior to, you know, nineteen seventy four, nineteen seventy five, which is I was born in nineteen seventy five, but prior to that, I mean, medicine was really practiced very differently, where there was a lot more hands on you know, touching of the physicians with the patients, they could actually, you know, really look into the patient's eyes, feel their skin, get a sense of who they were as a whole being. And then it became very diagnostic, like they would refer to the lab results and refer to, you know, if the tests say this, then this is what it means versus, well, what if the tests mm -hmm. say that, but the patient presents differently. Um, and I, and I know that from everything that I've read about how medicine was practiced prior to the seventies to the way it is now, it was um, very, very different. Um, and have you seen that in your experiences in interacting with physicians now and nurses now? Yes. Um, my, my father was ill, uh, I guess about four or five years ago, and I spent a fair amount of time in the hospital with him. And the nursing care was not the nursing care I was taught or what I taught as a, as a nursing instructor. Um, you know, they, the nurses seem to have lots of patients and not enough time. And so they're just doing the bare minimum. Um, I actually think that today, if somebody's in the hospital, they really need to have someone else come and help them because they, they don't get what, what they need. Almost like a, um, like a doula in a way for, for patients in the <laughs> hospital. Yeah, I mean, a family member or um, a private nurse or something, if they're very ill, because if they can't do it themselves, sometimes it just doesn't get done. And I'm thinking about things like bathing and mouth care and uh, even changing beds sometimes. Yeah, it's stuff. Yeah, we're definitely in a state where we have more money now being poured into the healthcare system than ever before. Yet, you know, the wait lists are so long, the attention to care is so minimized now. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's very much, it's a very, very different place. And from what I understand now with the billions of dollars that are spent on healthcare, most of it goes to paying for people's wages, but, and the technology as well. But 
um, despite all of that, we have less one-on-one -on -one time, we have less care being given um, in the healthcare system, um, which is the irony of it. And yeah, no, I would agree with you as well, is that um, the number one thing that I get told by my clients who um, are in the hospital is, especially because a lot of them do have cancer, is, you know, they're dealing with like a life-threatening disease. And they'll say that, most times they don't even get to see a doctor. Like most of the information now doesn't come directly from the doctor. It's coming from a nurse. And if it's, and it's a different nurse every single visit. So then most of the time is spent like looking at the chart and trying to get caught up to speed. And then they deliver a, you know, one minute sentence and then they're gone again. So you don't even get to ask any questions about what's going on. So most of the time you don't even know what's happening. Yeah. Um, Fortunately, I haven't been in the hospital for a while, but when, when, even when I had my babies, I had a private nurse come in for the first uh, 24 hours um, so that I would have pain control that I needed and I'd have someone there. And that was, well, my oldest is 44 now, so <laughs> it was a long time ago. Yeah, and you have five children, I understand? Well, I have four of my own and a stepdaughter. Oh, and a stepdaughter. Okay, so you've been through, you know, you've carried babies in your belly, you've delivered babies in the hospital, so you've seen, yeah, yeah that, um, yeah. yeah, that change. So you've been a patient in the hospital. I mean, I guess ne necessarily pregnant women are patients, but in a way they are patients in the hospital. Um, so you've seen um, direct hands-on experience of what that was like. So when you had your children, um, at the time and compared to now, and I know Peter was a really big influence. So was he the influence for you to change your diet or tell us a story about how you ended up changing um, your, your diet more to a plant-based whole food and vegan diet? And what was that like and what preempted that? Well, three of my four children were vegetarian. Um, and so holidays, became complex in terms of feeding everyone and, and finding a menu. For the Christmas holidays, and I decided for the week that I would cook vegan. And um, kids all agreed that that would be all right. And uh, I tried. And I found the food to be absolutely delicious, what I had tried. And um, what, at the same time, that same vacation, uh, Peter showed us all the movie Forks Over Knives. He very passionate about his veganism and he wanted to share with the family something that might be helpful to them. And I was impressed. I was impressed with the movie. And I think that year he also gave me for Christmas How Not to Die, the book. And so I started reading that as well. And I just decided that maybe I had been doing something wrong. Uh, I'd always been interested in healthy eating, and I thought I was eating healthy up until then, uh, but I realized that maybe there was a new definition of healthy eating. And so I thought maybe I would try it myself. I had high triglycerides uh, as a result of my type 2 diabetes, and even though I eat a relatively low-fat diet and fruits and vegetables and I exercise every day, um, I wasn't getting better. But the high glycerides weren't getting better. So I thought maybe if I ate vegetable fat instead of animal fat, uh, it might make a difference. So 
I gave myself six months to just eat um, religiously vegan. And um, within three months, my triglyceride levels had dropped. And within six months, uh, they were below the, the baseline for normal. So I was delighted. Wow. And um, yeah. So I love your story because I love how you said, you know, you state that it started over Christmas. Um, and I'll just share a story with you because you're not the typical mom. And I just have to say that like right now, if I was with you, I'd be giving you a huge hug and I'd be giving you a ribbon of sorts. <laughs> Now, the reason is like the number one thing my clients often say is that they're like, oh my God, my parents are making it so difficult. They don't believe in this. They, you know, they don't want to watch the documentaries. They won't read the books, you know, and every child wants to help their parents. At the end of the day, they're like, every child knows better than their parents, right? We all know better. So we all have information to part on our parents. And then we all get frustrated when our parents don't listen to us. Um, you know, and, and families are the hardest to change. But here you are, somebody with, you know, a Bachelor of Science degree, a Master of Science um, degree. And, you know, you've been trained, like, you know, a lot of our parents sometimes have not been trained in this. And so, you know, but here you've been trained in this, you could easily have said, like, hey, I'm the one with the science degree. I know better. But instead you turned around and you're like, yeah, you know what? Let's try a vegan Christmas and let me get some cookbooks and let me watch the documentary with you. Like that is truly remarkable. And it really speaks to how open you are to learning and to knowledge, but also I think to how much you love your children and not to say that parents who will not listen to their children don't love their children, but um you know, it is really remarkable because you are defying everything that, you know, my students know about trying to help their families and their parents and what most people have experienced. And so my story, just to share with you, is that for years I was like, can we just have a vegan Christmas? Like, let's just try it. Like, you know, can we have a Christmas where everybody just gives one gift instead of 80 gifts and where we just eat clean, clean, real yeah. food? So my mom, my mom finally agreed to it, right? Like no turkey dinner. She's like, fine, vegan Christmas. So she shows up with her cooler and I'm like thinking it's a cooler of vegetables. And no, it's a block of cheese that's like this big. And she has to pull the vegetables out of my fridge and shove it. Like she's wrestling cheese and wrestling this ham and wrestling like this. Like it was insane. And I lost my mind and my brother's just like, peed themselves laughing. It's their favorite story to tell their friends about our vegan Christmas. So I just have to say thank you. But then my mom turned around a few years later and she actually ended up doing the plant-based whole foods, vegan, orthomolecular, intense, you know, nutrition diet that I did because to heal herself. And then she saw the results and then she was converted, but it took her getting sick before she was willing to do it. Um, right. So I just love that story. And I just wanted to share that with you and say, thank you for being so open. open. Oh, you're welcome. And you know, it, it was, I understand where your mother's coming from because initially uh, when my kids were vegetarian, um, what I found the hardest, even though we would do vegetarian meals, usually we had half vegetarian and half meat. Um, but I found it really hard um, not to be able to cook the traditional foods that we've had for years and years and years. So I had to kind of grieve that loss. Um, and I think I had already more or less done that. 
because my kids had been vegetarian for quite a while. And so moving to vegan, I just sort of thought, what the heck, just bite the bullet and do it. Wow. And when your first child came to you and said, hey, I'm vegetarian, what was your response to that? Interesting. You know, my kids have all been quite independent over the years. Um, And, you know, they make their own choices and they do their own things. And uh, I I personally found vegetarianism interesting myself uh, years ago when my kids were little. I'd even thought about um, cooking vegetarian for the family. But in those days, they, they talked about having to get the right balance of all the amino acids and combine the foods in the right ways. And I just, I bought that book, um, Diet for a Small Planet, and read it. And I thought, you know, I, I don't think I have the energy to figure this all out uh, and raise four kids. So I, I put it aside and I just tried to to follow the Canada Food Guide really, really well mm-hmm. and uh, make sure my kids ate all the amounts of fruits and vegetables and uh, varieties of proteins and all of those things. Um, my, my kids have a great story. <laughs> I don't know if they want me to tell it, but... Oh, share um, it. Share it. <laughs> when, they were, when they were little, and there were four of them, if I, if I had cookies in the house, um, they were there one minute and gone the next. And so if I bought a box of cookies, I put up a sign-out sheet for them to sign out how many cookies they were taking each day. And they said, in retrospect, Mom, that was so embarrassing when we had friends over. (laughs) But it was the only way for them to take some charge of their own behavior uh, around um, sweets and carbohydrates. That is the sweetest story that I've ever heard. And in fact, I've never heard that as a technique, but in a way it's fantastic because what you were doing, you're being the scientist, it's data collection, right? And at the end of the day, we often can't change things if we don't measure them. And it just, you know, it brings to our awareness. You're like, oh yeah, I, I only had two cookies when in fact you had 12 cookies. That is hilarious. Um yeah. I love it as well. As, and I'm, I'm going to see, I have three kids, so I'm going to see if I could um, use that. And I find, you know, often when parents are like, how do I get my kids to eat vegetables and eat healthy food? And I'm like, well, if there's competing food in the house, then good mm-hmm. luck, right? Like it's yeah. the hardest thing to do, but you just don't bring the competing food in the house is the easiest answer that right. I have for people. But if they still have that competing food, then maybe it's the sign out sheet that needs to grunt. I love it. I love it. Okay, I'm putting that into my next book. It's a fantastic tool. <laughs> my kids didn't like it. <laughs> I bet they didn't. They were like, oh my gosh, this is too much. I'm not doing it. No cookies for us. Um, I have the weirdest mother in the entire universe. <laughs> I think we all had the weirdest mother in the entire universe until we turn like 35, 40, and then we're like, we had the best mom in the entire universe. <laughs> I think what happens. <laughs> 
Um, okay. So let, so when you're, so when your first child said they're going vegetarian, you were, I mean, open to it, which is amazing. Um, I know from my mom, she was like, but what about the protein? You're not going to get enough protein. And were you worried about their health at all that they wouldn't be able to, you know, calculate the nutrient intake that they needed? And was there any fear on your part around that? Not really. Um, Again, my kids are quite scientific in how they approach things. And my daughter was the first one to go vegetarian, my youngest daughter. And she did the research. Uh, she did. She learned what she needed to learn in order to eat uh, vegetarian. And, uh, and then I think Peter was the next one to go vegetarian. Could have been Peter first. I can't remember. It was about the same time. And uh, again, you know, they they read they study they learn my only concern at first with peter when he went vegan was whether or not um he would get the right stuff but he did and uh, yeah and i i think the concern was more for myself you're like how am i going to feed this kid <laughs> There's nothing left that I know how to make. <laughs> yeah, that is the challenge, right? If we're like, you know, grow up making ham sandwiches or whatever it is, you know, or yeah. casseroles. And then it's like, how do I make a casserole without meat? Or how do I make lasagna without meat? Or how do I make whatever the dishes um, without meat? But often I think the right question to ask is like, how do I just add more vegetables, right? Like I can bake mm -hmm. them, I can turn them into soups and smoothies and salads and roast them. Mm -hmm stew them. And I mean, there's a million ways that we can add vegetables. Do you remember what the impetus was for your daughter, your oldest daughter going vegetarian? Like, did she read a certain book or what was it? For yeah, her? she did. Um, I can't remember the name of the book. It was quite popular at the time, but it was it basically, you know, she didn't want to uh, be inhumane to animals. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And so for her, it was the animal efficacy side of it. Um, and was yes. it that way for all your kids or which is we, what we see now, especially with the millennials? I mean, they are so right. socially conscious. And so for them, yeah. you know, animal husbandry is huge on the list and often number one reason why people go plant-based whole food. I think it's varied with the kids. Um, I think when Peter started, it was more animal, but now I think it's more just health you know, be in good health. Um, my older son is partially vegetarian. He eats vegetarian at home, but he'll eat meat when he's out. Um, and he's not a vegan. Uh, his girlfriend is a vegetarian and she does it for, um, for the animals. And um, I think that's all my, oh, my son-in-law is partially vegetarian too. Um, okay. Yeah. So there's a bunch of reasons why uh, people choose that lifestyle, but it was very popular in college when the kids were in college. Yeah. That a lot of the kids, yeah, that's so inspiring. Cause I know for myself, it was very much the opposite. I went to school in Mississippi and you know, everything was about how much bacon you could add to everything, to the salads, to the grits, to the, you know, and, and of course it was all the meat, meat, meat was um, the rage. So people, you know, if you said you were vegetarian, people thought you were a hippie. Like I was called a hippie about a million times because I'd eat these massive salads and I'm like, but I don't think I'm a hippie, but okay. <laughs> so 
it was very different for me, but I definitely am seeing that change. And even with my, with my kids as well, like they're, the oldest is 14 and the youngest is eight, but my eight year old, she will not eat meat at all. And, um, she just kind of came into the world being like, I don't eat meat. Like she was, it's like she was born that way. Um, so with, so I just love this story about your family. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall listening to all the conversations around this and, you know, being like, hey, mom, read this book. And you're like, okay, I read the book. Now let's discuss it. So when you read Michael Greger's book, How Not to Die, I mean, now it's been definitely a few years since you had gone to school. But when you read that, like it clearly defied a lot of the things that you learned in school. And how did you feel about that? Like, was it a, you know, instant paradigm shift for you or was it a, why weren't, why didn't they teach us this? Or is it new science? What was that experience like for you being a, a scientist and learning this, which really defied the stuff that you learned? It made me want to go and study some more um, because I wasn't sure that all of that was absolutely true. I mean, he covered a lot of territory in that book. And um, I could see that some of it made sense to me, but some of it didn't. And so if I'd had more time and energy, I probably would have gone to a medical library and seen, you know, alternative explanations of what might be happening. Um, but I didn't. I just, in my mind, I said, you know, this might not all be true, but even if some of it's true, I'm okay with it because it makes sense. Awesome. So here you are, you read this book and you're like, you know what, let's just try it, which I think is awesome as well because of the fact that what have we got to lose by trying it? Like, you know, you know, at the end of the day, you can experiment with yourself and use your body as a living laboratory, which is what I say to people, just like try it for a few weeks, try it for a few months. Even if you tried it for a year, you know, we've never heard, it's so rare for most people to become protein deficient. Like you never hear about cases, except if they're elderly or in, or in the event that they have like a true genetic disease. Like it's right. very, very difficult to become protein deficient. We're definitely not in a society where we're fat deficient at all. Like it's no. the opposite, you know, where we have 75% of the U.S. population now that is classified as obese, you know, like, and that's been a rapid shift from even over the last 30 years when it was about 25% of the U.S. population was obese. So we're not fat deficient. We're not protein deficient. We're not carbohydrate deficient. We're not sugar deficient by any means. So at the end of the day, what have we got? to lose by just trying, which is what I like about what you did is you're just like, let's experiment. So when you started experimenting, like I know you mentioned you went out and grabbed a bunch of cookbooks. Do you remember some of the names of those cookbooks that helped you or any particular ones that you liked? Um, the first one I, the first one I got was a slow cooker cookbook. I don't remember the name of it. One of my favorite cookbooks um, is the Oh She Glows cookbook um, that has some wonderful recipes. And I just got a new one um, by somebody else who has a blog, who's a Canadian, but I can't remember her name either. Okay, well, we'll get that from you afterwards and we'll just attach it okay. in the show notes because any of those, that, those will be really helpful just to, 
you know, help introduce. And Oshi Glows is a fantastic cookbook for people who are like, okay, I want to eat some of the similar things that I've been eating before, but I want them to be vegan and plant-based. So here we go. That's a great introductory cookbook. And then the How Not to Die cookbook is also a really great cookbook as well. Um, And the other one that I love that I've been making a ton of recipes out of is the Engine 2 Diet by Rip Esselstein. I think that is one that I think you'd love for your family, especially because you have, how many grandchildren do you have now? Uh, Six with my step-grandchildren. Yeah, six grandchildren. You have five children. Um, And it's just fantastic because of the fact that the recipes are so quick and easy, but so well-balanced. And even my kids love the recipes, which is great. Like I never have to wrestle with them to um, eat. So what's it called? (laughs) That one's called the Engine 2, the number two diet. Yeah, and he's the he's really well known. His dad his dad is Caldwell Ezelstein, and Caldwell, um, Dr. Caldwell Ezelstein is very well known in the medical community for all the research that he's done on reversing heart disease with a plant based whole food diet, and so. Right. Yeah. And Rip is his son, who's a firefighter who had heart disease. And so he changed his diet to, you know, what his dad had been recommending, did all of this research as well. And then um, he was able to um, reverse his heart disease. And now he, that's all he does is help firefighters around the world and people around the world. Um, Heart disease. Yeah. I think you'd love that one too. So, so we're going to fast forward now. So, oh, actually fast forward, but go back. So when you learned about all of this, I know you had mentioned that um, di- type 2 diabetes runs in your family, and one of your mm-hmm. daughters has type 1 diabetes. Is that correct? Correct. My oldest daughter. Okay. Yeah. So what, did you think about the type 2 diabetes as being genetic up until this point? And how did that shift anything from you when you started to learn about diet and lifestyle related to disease um, versus, you know, perhaps what often we're often told is, you know, well, these chronic degenerative diseases are genetic. How did that shift your thinking around that? It didn't shift it a lot um, because in my case, there's such a strong tendency. And in, you know, I'm not overweight. My brother who has it is not overweight. My daughter didn't have, wasn't overweight, you know, when she was diagnosed at 18. you know, it's possible that my grandparents, you know, they ate quite differently. A lot of, you know, cream and milk and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I remember when I was diagnosed, you know, they suggested that, you know, I just try using diet and exercise. And based on the diet they were recommending, I was already eating that and um, I was already exercising. So I went on the medication. Uh, now, perhaps if they'd suggested a vegan diet, uh, but nobody ever talked about that, ever. Um, and, you know, when I did become vegan and I told my endocrinologist and my general practitioner about it, you know, their first reaction was concern um, that I'd be getting proper nutrients that I needed. Um, but, you know, it's, it doesn't feel yet at least in my environment, that eating vegan is something that my medical community is tuned into and can even coach you on. 
Yeah, definitely not, especially because the diabetes associations are funded by the food industry, often the meat industry. Mm-hmm. A lot of the recipes that you see on the diabetes association websites are all like beef stew and lots of chicken and lots of fish and, you know, for type 2 diabetes. But um, the mechanism of action that we've seen in the plant-based um, world from the plant-based medical researchers is the fact that the more animal fat that we have added to the diet, the more refined sugar that we have added to the diet um, actually um, stiffens up our endothelial tissues and then makes it really, really hard for insulin to get across the membrane walls and into the cells where then they can interact with the cell receptors. And so then we don't, our body's not utilizing um, the insulin that it's producing. And so then our body just stops making the insulin. So when we reverse that and we actually take away the inflammatory foods and the high fat foods, then what we see is that all of a sudden the insulin can get across the cell wall and then it's like, cabal, we don't have diabetes anymore um, or the symptoms of diabetes. Because you are so open, I would love to do an experiment with you. Um, and uh, you know we can take this offline for sure. But um, a lot of my clients, have, they get off their um, insulin, they get off their diabetes meds, their metformin. Um, my fastest client was, was within seven days. And it's really important that we monitor um, our clients who have type 2 diabetes really, really closely and type 1 diabetes because their body does not, it utilizes insulin so effectively that they actually are now utilizing too much insulin. So we have to um, so titrate their meds down very, very quickly. But generally within 30 days, what we see is that people are able to get off their meds entirely. And this is all done with their doctors who are monitoring them. It's diagnostically done. Um, it's not just like, oh, I, you know, placebo think I'm better. And so now I'm not going to take my mm-hmm. meds. But if you're open to it, I think you and I can do a little experiment. We can really see if it's genetic or if it is um, lifestyle, which means that there's probably some additional nutrients you need in your diet that you may not be getting, um, as well as the way that your body's utilizing those nutrients. But it would be something that we can chat about afterwards if you're open to it. Yeah, yeah. Right now I'm on the prednisone for the PMR. And uh, so I have to take insulin. Um, I don't imagine that would change until I, but I'm tapering off the prednisone. Yeah, and with, and it's interesting because what we see when people often have one chronic disease is that they often have two and three or four chronic illnesses at the same time because, Mm -hmm. you know, the body doesn't just, you know, start to break down in one area. It's, you know, everything's being affected, all the entire body, like the membrane lining of your eyes are affected with the same membrane lining of your cells, membrane lining of your arteries and everything. So what we tend to see is that people often have two or three or four different diagnoses, but what we see happen is that everything clears up. So um, the PMR, um, which is, you know, a subset of, you know, an arthritic condition, which is a subset of an inflammatory response, which is a subset of an autoimmune disorder. I mean, everything clears up in the body. So it would be interesting to see. And we do need to know everything that's going on in the body. So we do a full health history because of the fact that um, we need to know, like if meds for diabetes are going to be reduced, meds for the PMR would be reduced as well simultaneously because your body just wouldn't have the need for them and they'd be utilizing them too efficiently. Um, So anyway, we can chat about that because it's rare that I meet somebody who's into experimenting on themselves. So, um, (laughs) but let's chat about that later for sure. So 
now with, I want to chat with you about what it's like um, just being um, a plant-based whole foods vegan eater in your world amongst your friends. What was that like when you start to change your diet and, you know, were your friends fully on board or do they think you were eating like a rabbit? And what are some of the things, how did you communicate with them about this? Um, I told them uh, gradually about what I was doing and everybody was sort of on board because I was doing it for health reasons. You know, it wasn't because I was a radical animal lover or something. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, I did have some health conditions and, and, you know, they figured it might make sense. Um, and after about, I guess about four or five months, I had a big dinner party for some of my closest friends. And um, it was all vegan, the dinner, except for the hors d'oeuvres. I had some shrimp for hors d'oeuvres. And um, they were amazed, you know, that the food was really good and, and they really enjoyed it. Um, I don't think anybody has switched off of meat <laughs> as a result. But, um, you know, it was just uh, uh, a process of, teaching them what I was doing. And uh, recently, somebody in my church asked me next year to do a presentation about veganism and what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So people are interested. Um, but it, it doesn't fit with the norm of what you do every day. You have to do something significantly different to become vegan in our current society. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It is, um, you know, I think that anybody who is vegan right now, we tend to often, I mean, you're surrounded by a whole family that is vegetarian and, and vegan. So sometimes for us, you know, and especially when we see all the books coming out and we think that the whole entire world is vegetarian or vegan, I mean, we are still a tiny, tiny, tiny subset of the world's population. Right. And, well, I, and my, my husband is not vegan. He still eats meat. So are you <laughs> so preparing we, the meals or does he prepare his own meals or what do you do in the house? I prepare vegan meals and he adds the meat. Okay. <laughs> but he doesn't always add the meat. You know, it depends on how we feel. Some days he doesn't eat meat, but some days, you know, he'll, he'll put on a piece of chicken or whatever he decides he wants to eat that day along with what I'm making. And that's a great way to do it for families who are listening to this. A lot of people think like, I cannot be vegetarian or vegan because my husband or wife, but often husband demands the, you know, the meat and they need it and they need their protein or my teenage boys or teenage girls need it. Um, but it is a great way to do it is that you can cook a beautiful plant-based vegan meal. And then if they want to add something on top, then it's just great. They can do that. But the great way about doing it this way is that you're always ensuring that the plate is full of vegetables to begin with. So you know that you're right. going to be eating lots of vegetables. So that's a great way to do it versus doing it the other way, thinking, starting off with the mindset that I need to cook a meat meal and then I'll just add some vegetables. Right. And the outcome for my husband has been that he eats about half or less of the meat than he used to eat. Um, because he used to eat large portions of meat, but because there's such a nice plate full of food, he just puts a small piece of meat on if he's adding meat. 
Uh, so I'm happy about that. Yeah, that is amazing because every meal that we eat, I mean, we've talked about being vegan for ethical reasons. We've talked about being vegan for health reasons, but then there's also a third reason and that's the environmental reason. And, you know, meat consumption, you know, as you learned in Forks Over Knives, and I'm sure you've seen a ton of documentaries since then, but the meat consumption is so detrimental environmentally to our planet from the amount of water that it consumes, the amount of land and agriculture that it takes up to feed the animals and the amount of methane that's produced that contributes to climate change. I mean, it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's quite the catastrophe when you look at it from an environmental reason as well. So for some of our listeners out there, I mean, I'm not sure how many listeners are going to listen to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. You don't already know about these things, but just in case, um, you know, like there are the re those are three main reasons for becoming vegan and um, or vegetarian is the environmental, the ethical, and then the health reasons as well. So I love that. And with um, your husband now eating less meat, which is awesome because one less meat meal is incredible, even if it's one less a day or one less a week or one less a month. I mean, that's incredible change. And that's how we did it in our family as well. Like it wasn't, um, I didn't, particularly love meat growing up. I used to, you know, my dad used to be like, eat the grizzle. It's good for you. And I was like gagging as a four-year-old, like on it. And, um, but even my parents have changed drastically since then, but I never used to like meat. But even then I was still, wasn't totally convinced by the science that we couldn't eat meat or shouldn't eat meat. So, I mean, our family of five would eat one chicken breast for the whole entire family, where a lot of families are used to two or three chicken breasts per person, you know, often when they're having their meals. So, you know, we just drastically reduced it and then eliminated it entirely once we were totally convinced we didn't need it. Um, so now um, you're out in the world, you're inviting friends out over, you're cooking them vegan meals, which I love, by the way. Again, a lot of people think my friends are coming, so I need to cook a roasted chicken for them, when that's not the case. You can actually just prepare the same foods, which I love that you're doing. Um, and so now with your family um, being this way and you're eating this way, um, how is your health now compared to what it was? Because your triglycerides were at 221 and then they dropped to 136, which is a right. huge shift. Right. Right. And I haven't had them done again since then. I, I have a, a lab requisition to go and get them done in the next couple of months. Um, so I don't know if they've stayed down, but I assume they have. Uh, but I'll find out. <laughs> is your health like from a subjective perspective? How is your health now? Have you noticed a change in anything other than the triglycerides? Well, well, I was, interestingly, I, I was in Europe for three weeks, um, a few weeks ago, and it was hard at times to get vegan food. So I thought, well, it's a vacation, three weeks, not the end of the world. So I ate what I could find. And some days I got some vegan stuff, but some days I didn't. Um, but I didn't feel as well when I came home. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to go totally vegan again and no <laughs> no slips and uh, I feel great I feel really good uh, I feel I have more energy and um, I just feel more uh, well in myself um, I mean I still have diabetes I still have PMR but I I have 
energy and I can do what I want to do and I walk every day um, at least 10,000 steps is my goal. <laughs> That's awesome. How yeah. do you track that? Do you have a Fitbit or an Apple watch or what? Yeah, you- my, my Fitbit. <laughs> That's awesome. I've got my Fitbit too, which I love because again, it's data collection, right? It helps to, you know, let you know. Mine often is going off being like, you haven't walked enough because I tend to be behind my computer way too much. But since I've gotten it, it definitely makes me think more about getting up and moving and not sitting for more than an hour at my desk and um, which is really important. So I love that. Um, And do you go out with your, do you go out by yourself or do you have a community of people that you walk with? Yes, I have, um, I have a good friend who I walk with um, and she and I walk at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. And the rest of the time I usually go by myself unless I can convince my husband to go for a walk, but he'd rather play golf. (laughs) Right. And I also play some golf, uh, but not as much as he does. Yeah, you get a lot of walking in when you play golf. Like for anybody out there who's like, oh, I don't know how to swing and hit the ball. And I'm like, I don't care. Just get out there on the golf course because you will get your 10,000 steps in when you do an 18 right. full course. Yeah. Yeah. And in the winter, I love cross country skiing and uh, my husband will do that with me. Um, but living in Vermont, we don't have consistent, not Vermont, in Michigan, we don't have consistent snow. Uh, when I lived in Vermont, there was lots of skiing and, uh, you know, winter was consistent. Uh, but here, I call it winter light. <laughs> right. And do you still get out, though, and try and get your 10,000 steps in the winter as well? Like, is it oh, yeah. rain, it's, sun? It's actually much easier, easier to walk here in the winter. And then when it does snow, I'm right away out in the woods with my cross-country skis for as long as the snow lasts. That's amazing. Um, since you learned all about this um, and started to make these lifestyle changes, how have the conversations changed with your friends? Do you find that you end up having a lot of conversations about health? Do you, you know, hear a lot of conversations about health or is it just something you do on your own or are you the type of person who goes out there and you're like, everyone's got to know about this. I'm super curious <laughs> to know who you are. Um, I let people know what I'm doing. Uh, but I don't proselytize at all. And um, if people are interested, I'm happy to give them information and share with them. For the most part, I don't find that most people are terribly interested. Um, although, like I said, somebody at my church recently asked me to come and you know, do a presentation. So I guess some people are interested. Um, but in my generation, I think it's very odd for somebody to be vegan. Um, and, uh, but in fairness, my, my husband has been really supportive. And when we go out to eat, I try to find some place that has vegan options or is a vegan restaurant. Uh, there's not tons of them here, but there are some. And uh, so that's, that's helpful. Um, other times when I'm with friends, it depends, you know, but oftentimes there's nothing other than broccoli and mushrooms. <laughs> broccoli and mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, it is definitely challenging in a lot of places. I mean, I live in Whistler, so, you know, it's pretty easy to go out. Most restaurants all have vegan options now. We have our vegan yeah. restaurants. Um, so yeah. I eat there every day at our own restaurants, which is fantastic, which is part of the reason why I created them for my community, but for myself and my family as well. But not everybody gets that. But we often forget, though, that the minute we go a few hours east or north or south of Whistler, all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, people you know, are trying to dig up veggie burgers that are 10 years old out of the freezer. Like it's not yeah. a common thing. Or, you know, when you ask for, you know, vegetables, you know, they're like, give you like three baby carrots on the side of the plate. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I want the whole plate to be vegetables. And they're like, really, is it safe to eat that many vegetables? I've been asked before. So yeah, it's, yeah. but you definitely are a very unique individual again, because as much as we think often that, you know, everybody's turning towards us and that the trend is growing, it's still very, very, very few people. So you are this um, anomaly, which is why I do ask, like, if you're out there, you know, actively teaching people about it, but I'm so curious about how that talk's going to go at your church, because one thing I do know is that people love stories and you have a great story to share with people and for sure you're going to inspire people. And I started off this way, you know, 15 years ago, just talking in front of a group and sharing my story with people. And then all of a sudden people came to me and they're like, I tried eating this way and I don't get migraines anymore. I tried eating this way. And then I told my mother and now she doesn't have osteoporosis anymore. So I'm very, very curious and I'm going to stay connected with you because I really want to know what comes out of this. And the questions that you get asked at this church group as well are going to be very, very interesting. Yeah. 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 It should be fun actually. I am looking forward to it. And are you going to do a slideshow or how are you going to, you have an idea of how you want to share your story? I haven't really gotten that far yet because I, I think it's sometime, you know, in the fall or the winter. I'm not sure exactly when it is. Um, I didn't pay close attention. <laughs> I'll have to follow up. But uh, I don't know. I, I mean, when I present, I tend to be a storyteller. And so, um, you know, I'll probably have some data because that's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and then probably tell stories and ask, answer questions and have dialogue with people. Because I think if you want to connect with people around something, it has to be a back and forth. They have to see how their lives might change or be improved or whatever, um, if, it, if they're interested. Um, and I don't know that just making a presentation uh, would do that for them. Yeah. And I like the idea of sharing cookbooks as well, because like, you, you know, you had mentioned, Oh, she glows helped you make that transition. And so anytime we're, you know, out there sharing this information with others, people do tend to be preachy, like this is the way it is and this is what you need to do, but mm -hmm. they forget to present a little bit of data. They forget to tell a story and a personal story always wins people over. And then they forget to also teach people how to do it right? How right. are they going to like, because otherwise you just send people off into the dark and they're just like, what do I eat for breakfast now? How am I going to do this? So, um, right. and forks over knives is a good one. There's a hospital in New York now. There's a doctor there that every patient who ends up in a bed in that hospital, the first thing they have to do is they put forks over knives for them on the television and that every patient has to watch it. Yeah, that, that was a really good uh, video. Yeah. It's very 
yeah, very compelling. That would be a good one too. Movie screenings are always good. And I can see you doing movie screenings as well. And then giving a little talk at the end as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, good, good suggestion. Okay, well, I'm going to be following up with you on that because I want to know the outcome. And I just so curious about like what the feedback is from the participants there. Um, so with um, moving forward and to wrap up, um, how is it for you as a grandmother and watching your kids? So are your kids now with the six grandchildren that you have? I imagine it's a little bit easier because I'm so curious what it's going to be like for me and my kids as well, because I've now starting to hear grandparents say, I can't believe what my kids feed their children, where, you know, it used to be the opposite where the grandparents would come in with all the bags of candy and like, let's go to McDonald's. But I am imagining it's not that case in your family. Um, and how is it? Is it pretty? cohesive and easy or um, has there been any struggles with you and any of the children and the grandchildren? I don't struggle with my grandchildren. If they don't want something, they don't have to eat it. Um, and if they want something in particular, I try to make sure I have it for them. Um, the two grandchildren that live here in Michigan that I see the most often, uh, one of them is vegan and one of them is not. Uh, she's she's partially vegan, but if she can get chicken wings, boy oh boy, she'll go for them. <laughs> but you know, she lives in a family where where um, food and nutrition is is seriously taken taken serious consideration. And so I think she's. I mean, she's going to be ten this year, and I think as she gets older and she understands the reasons for veganism she may be less attracted to eating meat than she can um and my youngest grandson he eats will only eat vegan food um except for ice cream, <laughs> he loves ice, cream. Ice, cream. <laughs> ice cream is a tough one it is really yeah. really hard to resist how delicious it is and it's cold yeah. and it comes in a cone and yeah it's it is a tough one for sure i have yeah. a really great uh do you have any good ice creams recipes that are vegan have you come across any yeah i have tried a few but my favorite one is is one that i buy it's a cashew ice cream mm -hmm. and uh I only eat a small amount when I have it, but it's delicious. It's called S.O. Um, I don't know if that brand is available everywhere, but they have uh, salted caramel and delicious chocolate. <laughs> nice. So if you, want, if you want something, you know, if you have a small quantity, yeah, and I tend to find, um, I've noticed it for myself that when I do eat a vegan ice cream that's either purchased, because sometimes, you know, that's all we'll have. But if we're at home, we make um, a really awesome recipe, which I think I've talked about so much on this podcast, but it's, um, we just always have frozen bananas. You peel them first and then put them in a, you know, casserole dish and stick them in the freezer. Yeah. And um, we'll just blend those up in the Vitamix or put them through. We have a great juicer that you can just put them through. There's not the mesh lining on it. So it's just, a, it grinds it up, but it actually you put in the frozen banana at the top and it comes out pure, amazing vanilla ice cream at the bottom. And you don't even have to add anything to it, but you could add, you know, vanilla, you could add some cinnamon. Um, sometimes we add berries to it and it's so delicious. And 
when I bring that to parties, like people cannot believe that it's not ice cream and they cannot believe that it's just bananas. And they often say things like, I taste a hint of, you know, caramel or cardamom or vanilla in this. And I'm like, <laughs> that's funny because it's just frozen bananas. So it's such a good one. So it is easy to still be able to get some of these traditional foods that we, you know, our kids crave and that we crave as well, but it really can be so simple actually. Um, you know, it often comes down to the right equipment as well. Um, what's yeah. your favorite piece of equipment that you have in your kitchen that you think is absolutely necessary for anyone who is vegan or thinking about becoming vegetarian? I have a Ninja blender and then I have a food processor. Um, and I don't think I could live without those. I, yeah, <laughs> they really are helpful with the cooking. Yeah. And do you have a favorite salad dressing as well that you like to make? Um, my favorite salad dressing is, is the one out of the um, uh, Oh, she glows cookbook her second cookbook and it's a kale salad and it's, it's got lemon juice and uh, garlic and maple syrup and um, I can't remember the other herbs and spices, but it's delicious on the kale salad. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And where do you do most of your shopping for eating? Have you found that to be, um, a lot of people I know will often say, well, I can't become vegetarian because it's so expensive or I can't become vegan because it's so expensive. How have you found that for yourself? It was a little expensive at the beginning because I had to buy new ingredients that I'd never used before. And, you know, I basically had to restock my kitchen with all the things that vegan recipes call for. But once I have them, I actually think it's less expensive because meat is pricey. And if you're eating most of your proteins with beans and legumes and lentils, if you buy them in bulk, uh, they're not that terribly expensive. And um, so I shop in a bunch of different places now. I, I shop at my local grocery store first for some things. Um, and then I shop at Whole Foods uh, for a lot of things. And I found since they've um, been taken over by uh, Amazon that the price on produce has gone down. It's, it's much more reasonable. I just have to contain myself not to buy the packaged foods that <laughs> are twice the price and um, probably aren't as healthy. And that's the thing everybody, I mean, I know the joke is that they call Whole Foods whole paycheck, but that is only for the people who do walk down those center aisles and they buy the packaged goods and then they stop in the candle section and buy a $20 candle and then they go to the supplement section and then you're buying crazy supplements. And I'm like, no, just go to the produce section and it's actually really cheap to shop at Whole Foods. It is, it is. I found it more expensive before, but now it's actually less expensive than my grocery store and many things. Yeah. So, um, I, I wouldn't say that eating vegan is more expensive at all. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's good. Yeah. 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 And with, um, do you do any baking? Do you, are you a baker at all? Um, we have a family tradition. Every fall we make apple pies and put them in the freezer. And if all the kids come home, we can make up to about 35 pies. Um, <laughs> but then they take some home. Uh, and that's sort of my major baking. And then I bake at Christmas time. Uh, there's some traditional things that, that I make. Um, I have a, a Christmas cake recipe from my grandmother. And um, 
Peter made it vegan this year and it was delicious. Uh, so I'm going to, I was afraid to do it because I was, I thought I'd, I'd ruin it. Um, but he changed things to make it vegan and I'm, I'm in <laughs> next That's, year. It's going to be vegan. Oh, that is amazing. And how about the apple pies? Cause I know that, that, that has got to be hard to make vegan. Can you make vegan apple pies really well? You I'm not can. a baker. You can. Um, the, the Crisco that I use doesn't have any, um, it's, it's vegetable oil. And, and the rest of it's just flour and water and a little baking powder or powder or something. I can't remember. Yeah. Oh. So, and I don't put butter in the, in the pie. I use a, a vegan butter um, and it's delicious. Nobody can tell the difference. Okay. So that's amazing. So there's no excuses for people out there who are bakers. I'm not a baker. And in fact, when I look at baking, I'm always like, I don't get it. Like it's just flour and sugar turned into either pancakes or muffins or cake. It's the same thing. Like it doesn't make sense to me and it never really has. My mom loves baking she, and my kids love baking. And I'm just like, I don't get it. Like I'd rather make a beautiful soup. I find that those are, you know, challenging to get right. And baking is challenging too, but it's just, it, yeah, it's never quite got me and I don't have a sweet tooth that way. I definitely love savory. Um, so I'm always curious for people who really love their baking. Like, you know, for them, it could be the one thing that holds them back from becoming vegan. So it's good to yeah, know. There's good, there's good recipes. Um, like I, I tried a, an apple muffin recipe and my husband likes those better than the, um, the other recipe I used to make that, that wasn't vegan. So I think it's just, it's experimenting with recipes until you find something that you think is really good. Yeah. Um, and there's, and there, there's lots of them out there. Yeah, there are. And there's really no excuses now, like with the internet at our fingertips, like we can access so many recipes, but it is important to get a good recipe because I know for someone who is switching to a vegetarian or vegan diet and then they make, they choose a bad recipe online and they end up getting this like terrible, awful, like gluten-free vegan dessert. I'm just like, that will turn anybody off being vegan. So just ask around and make sure you get like at least 10 good responses that that recipe is yeah. for wasting all your beautiful, precious ingredients on um, a really bad vegan recipe for sure. Well, I just remembered the name of the person who wrote the other cookbook. Her name is Sam Turnbull. Ooh. And uh, she, uh, she has a, a website and um, she, she did a, a shortbread recipe this year that my daughter got and it's absolutely fantastic. I can't tell the difference between that and regular shortbread. It's really good. Oh, that's amazing. I okay. think her cook is called Fuss Free v Vegan. Oh, that's a great name too. Fuss Free yeah. Vegan. Okay, awesome. Yeah. We're going to put that in the show notes so people have a whole list of incredible resources that you've shared with them to make it a little bit easier for them to either experiment even for a few weeks or to make the switch um, for a few months and just to see what that's going to be like. Um, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show because of the fact that um, you we've had so many conversations. We have this great program. It's our nutrition and detox coaching program. And um, we've had dozens of students go through the program. And again, they all come back saying the same thing because they have to do case studies. So they do case studies. And so they usually do it on their family members first. And then they teach mm -hmm. them about how to make the switch to a plant-based whole food diet. But then they come back and they're like so disheartened because their parents are like, 
nope, not going to do it. And, you know, <laughs> oh, I don't believe in that. Or, and they're like, no, there's science behind this. Truly, like, I'm not like pulling your leg. And the parents are like, no way. But I just love it's been such a pleasure having you on the show because you are so open to experimenting on yourself, to listening to what your kids are putting down on the table. And I imagine too, you know, again, I'd love to be that fly in the wall is you two, like you and your family and your children are sharing recipes. Like this is like the warmest, this podcast has warmed my heart so deeply because as my kids get older, I imagine it being like that for us. And it's already getting there now with our kids cooking. Like we've had our kids on the kitchen counter since they like couldn't even walk since <laughs> the chopping block and a knife and they would chop up like green peppers and and whatever that was soft and easy to cut and so now they're just like dynamos in the kitchen so it has been fun but you know they're still kind of on the fence like they usually will like we eat you know plant-based all the time at home and um and and pretty much vegan all the time at home. But, you know, with the baking, they're still like, no, mom, you need eggs and flour. And just the other day they were like, Hey, I made this without eggs and flour. And I'm like, what? And uh, it was so delightful. So, but it's been such a pleasure having you on the show because you really represent what I think progress really looks like. And progress is really about being open and about experimenting, about trying new things, about collecting data. So getting your kids to sign out cookies so that they see <laughs> how many cookies they've eaten. Um, it's about all of those things combined, but it's also about doing it in community. And you are the epitome of community and, you know, creating a healthy community around you with your family, sharing your stories in your church, um, you know, being open um, to receiving information as well as sharing that information. So I have to just thank you for being who you are, Catherine Holdway. Um, I think you're super inspirational. And I think a lot of mothers out there who are listening to this podcast, um, you can definitely pay, take a page out of Catherine's book to really just learn what it's like to just be open, open with yourself, compassionate with yourself, try something new. Um, and it's amazing how you can really start to change your own health, um, change your family's health, and then expand out into the greater community to change their health as well. So thank you, Catherine, for being on the show. I can't wait to have your son, Peter, on the show as well, because I need to ask, what the, how hard is it to tour around Canada and around the world with your music and be hitting up these super small towns, but be vegan at the same time. That's got to be quite the journey. And I'm sure he's got so many incredible stories to share. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure and um, I'm so glad we got to meet. Yeah, myself as well. And I'm going to be following up with you after the show because I want to see if you want to take it to the next level with your health and really see if we can reverse your diabetes and your PMR entirely. If Sounds like a plan. Amazing. Thanks so much, Catherine. Okay. So I hope you enjoyed that episode with Catherine Holdway. She is incredible. We are definitely going to reach out to her son as well, Peter Katz, and set up a podcast with him because he is also a healing hero. Just like his mom, it definitely runs in the family, runs in the DNA. Can't wait to have him on the show as well. And if you enjoyed the show, let us know what you liked about it. Let us know how it can be improved. We want to learn from you. So get in touch with us. And if you are a healing hero yourself, if you're someone who has gone above and beyond, changed your lifestyle and achieved certain results in your health or in your life, in your relationships at work, as a result of making those lifestyle changes for the better, 
write to us, let us know. We want to share your story on our Eat Real to Heal podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode coming out soon. Eat well, be well.